Welcome to the Breathful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's breastfeeding story actually starts when Claire Labrosa had a breast reduction at age 17. Claire is here to share how she was able to breastfeed and even tandem feed her three kids, but not without obstacles. Many of them having nothing to do with her reduction, but rather lack of support, conflicting information from care providers, and dealing with lip ties, tongue ties, and sensitive babies. Stay tuned. This episode of Breathful is brought to you by Eucora the drink mix that helps prevent UTIs when you are most at risk. Get 30% off your order by texting the word BIRTHFUL to the number 484848. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Audible, providing premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment, including an unmatched selection of audiobooks. To get started, go to audible.com slash birthful or text the word BIRTHFUL to the number 500-500. The Birthful Podcast talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Thank you so much for all the love you give the show, as always. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. To best support this podcast, please support its sponsors, which in today's case are Eucora and Audible. Also, quick reminder that if you want to truly prepare for all the, the big identity and relationship and logistical changes that are coming your way when you become a parent, please do yourself a favor. Go to birthfulcourses.com and sign up for my Thrive With Your Newborn online postpartum preparation classes. This is not just about baby care. That's the least of it. This is more about understanding your baby and figuring out how to deal with, you know, your identity change. Like, for example, now you are mom or dad when that always used to be your parents. Whoa, it's mind-blowing. All right, so do it now before baby arrives. Get Let's get you postpartum ready. Birthfulcourses.com. So today's show, I am thrilled to have Claire Labrosa here to share her long breastfeeding journey that really started with a breast reduction when she was 17 and is still going on after having had three kids and all kinds of obstacles and struggles. All right, here we go. Hi, Claire. It's so great to have you here on the show to tell us your breastfeeding story. Hi, Adriana. Yay. And full disclosure, <laughs> like we live in the same city and are both doulas and we know each other from a long time. So yeah, right. we get to hang out. I was super excited when you wanted to share your story, though, because this is for your third child. And it's been quite a different experience from the two previous ones, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, they've all been really different, actually. So okay, I think. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk about all of them. But before yeah. we jump in with that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I am a mother to three. My oldest is seven. And my daughter is five. And I have a new baby who's two months old. Um, I'm a teacher. I teach English as a second language. And um, I'm also a childbirth educator and a doula. Yay. All the fun things. Um, yes. <laughs> so, all right. We're going to focus on breastfeeding today, on your breastfeeding stories. But at any time, if you think postpartum or birth-related information makes sense to share, do that, okay. of course. Um, did you want to start chronologically? 
Yeah, I think I'll I'll start from the beginning. Let's do that. <laughs> Which happens to be way way back. <laughs> Go for it. Before before I had babies. So, um when I was 17, I had a breast reduction. Um and so I was still in high school and I had been asking my mom to get one for years because I, they just kept growing. <laughs> I was, I'm petite, I'm 5'4", and I like could not find a bra in a store that fit me and I was uncomfortable and I played sports and I couldn't do that very well with these like massive breasts. Um, but my mom was horrified. She was like, you're a teenager, like I don't want you to do that. But I'm very insistent um, <laughs> and I don't give up easily. So eventually she took me for like a consult. Um, and they found that there was, you know, like medical reason for having a breast reduction, like it was affecting the bones in my shoulders, because my breasts were so heavy. Um, I was having back pain. So I went ahead and I got the surgery. But before I got the surgery, and before I decided to I actually talked to my surgeon at 17. And I said, I want to breastfeed. It is important to me that someday I am able to breastfeed my children, like everyone in my family breastfed their kids. And so it was already something I thought about. And my surgeon said, absolutely, like, no problem. You'll be able to do that, um, which I actually don't think he knew for sure if I would be after this surgery. But he said that. So, <laughs> so and I for know me, it was, yeah, it depends, like, it depends on how they do the surgery. So the fact yes. that you guys had a conversation beforehand and you knew that or, or your doctor yeah. knew that this was an important thing for you, like, before he went and cut, that... Right. You know, they right, exactly. did it with that in mind. Awesome. Yes, it was. And so there are two different types of breast reduction surgery. Um, and one of them is more than if like it's it assists breastfeeding better um, later on. So they never like fully removed my nipple um, and I have an anchor shaped scar. And those things are good for if you would like to breastfeed in the future. So, um, yeah, and they can they say that they can preserve as much like mammary tissue as possible or um milk ducks, I guess. But honestly, I don't know how much control they have over it because there's mixed results in the in the end. But anyway, so I got the surgery. Um, and I was just so happy with it. Like I felt free in my body. <laughs> you know, I can move around and didn't feel so weighted down anymore. So I've never ever regretted getting the surgery. But let's flash forward. Um, so I was 17. I had my first I got pregnant when I was 25. Um, my son, oh, sorry, the Doggy whole the family, background. we've got the know, dog right? <laughs> and the baby and the TV. Everybody and here. The... Um, so, uh, let's see, got pregnant. Okay, here we are. <laughs> so I got pregnant with my son. I went to the midwives cause I wanted to have a unmedicated birth and, um, I told them like at my first appointment, I said, I've had a breast reduction and I'm afraid breastfeeding is going to be difficult for me. And they were, you know, like, no problem. We'll put it in your chart, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I told them every single time <laughs> for every appointment, like I've had a breast reduction. I'm afraid this is going to be difficult for me. You know, I was kind of like asking for help, but I didn't know exactly how to get that help. You know what I mean? Like, I knew that there were lactation consultants and I think that I was telling the midwives, like, I'd like you to just like, give me one of those, please <laughs> give them to me now. But, but not in those words, but not in those words. Cause I was new at this, you know, sure. I didn't really know, like 
it's all crazy when you're pregnant with your first child and you're navigating so many new things. And so I was asking for help, but maybe not in like such a clear way. I was just kind of expressing my nervousness about what was going to happen. So, you know, I did a lot of research when I was pregnant about how possibly having medication during your labor could affect breastfeeding. So I wanted to avoid that. Um, but we were living in a one bedroom apartment and my husband was in law school. And so like things like hiring a doula were not exactly feasible. Um, and I feel like I knew I wanted one, but I also thought like, I know the things, so it'll be okay. <laughs> right. Um, and then That's I went what to we labor. all think. I didn't have right, a that doula. Right, that is what we all think. That is what everybody either. thinks. Yeah. Yes. But no, I really needed a doula. Um, yeah, that's okay. Now I have a, an additional doula every time I have a baby. <laughs> Just add one more. <laughs> um, so I went to labor with my son and I did nothing to help any of it progress. You know, I just like laid around and was miserable in early labor. Um and had like a very extended early labor that felt awful, but like was not really like moving my baby down or like opening my cervix at all. Um, and I was exhausted and I got to the hospital and I was only two centimeters and I had been in early labor for like 24 hours, <laughs> like what I felt was very intense labor. Um, and the midwife who was on call was like, I, you know, I think maybe an epidural. And at that point, you know, like I'm exhausted. I've been in this, like what feels to be horrible labor. Like, yes, give me that epidural, even though that wasn't my plan at all. Um, so I got the epidural, I had it in for 12 hours and, you know, I pushed my baby out. Like everything went pretty smoothly after that. It just wasn't what I wanted. Um, and that really like from when he was born on just led to like, all the possible complications you can have with breastfeeding. You know, it was just, everything was hard. So he, so, yeah. Yeah. Go through a little bit of what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, he was very sleepy. And, you know, we know that the epidural can make babies sleepy. So he was very sleepy. He would not latch. Like he never ever latch in that first hour. He kind of like licked my nipple <laughs> and then fell asleep um, and didn't really like wake up again to nurse for a while. Um, and instead of, you know, so I, they send a lactation consultant and I'm saying like to them, I've had a breast reduction. I'm worried this is going to be hard and he's not latching. And they gave me a nipple shield. Um, and he still couldn't even latch onto the nipple shield. So like milk, like, well, at the time it was colostrum, but it would be like a drip would come out, but it would get stuck in the nipple shield and he couldn't get it out of the nipple shield. And this is in the hospital. So that first night, um, you know, I was exhausted. So I, I went to sleep. My baby was sleeping and the nurse came in and they said, we can take the baby to the nursery. Um, and, you know, I'm like delirious. I'm a first time mom. And I'm saying, okay, but you have got to bring him back to me as soon as he wakes up because I'm trying to breastfeed. And like, I know that he needs to be with me. And they said, oh, sure, sure, sure. We'll do that. And they took him away. And six hours later, I woke up in a panic because my baby wasn't there. Nobody had brought him back. And when they did bring him back, they told me that they had given him a full 
bottle of formula mm, like without, without my consent without your or consent. knowledge right right so I felt like I just was so I don't know I felt very betrayed <laughs> by the hospital staff who did that absolutely um, right so then he still like wouldn't really latch on this is like day two in the hospital and then the discharge nurse comes to like send me home with my new baby and the words out of her mouth are, and by the way, I had not seen a lactation consultant like that following day at all. Nobody came in even, and like nobody acknowledged that I had said I had a breast reduction. So then discharge nurse comes to like, let me be on my merry way. And she says like the first things out of her mouth are, well, your baby's already lost 10% of its body weight. Um, and I was like, well, what should I do? Like, that's, you know, like now you're sending me home and that's what you're going to tell me <laughs> with no help whatsoever. Um, and I said, do you know that I've had a breast reduction? And she looked through my chart and it was the last page of my chart. And she was like, oh, well, maybe you should take a pump home. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should. Like, what the heck, people? So um, they sent one of the midwives back in to talk with me actually about renting a hospital pump that was the first time in my hospital stay that anybody acknowledged that I had been talking about having this breast reduction the whole time <sighs> so I rented the hospital pump and um was like already supplementing right but like with no guidance from anybody about how to do that to like support breastfeeding um and I went home it was just Really, I didn't, I felt, you know, like from the very beginning, like this is not going well. Um, and you were, you, you still had the nipple shield. So you were trying to get him right. on with the nipple shield as well. Yes. So it was yes. the pump, yes. the nipple shield. Right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it was so bad. So he, you know, was still really sleepy and nobody told me to wake him up to feed him because he hadn't ah. been back to his birth weight ah. yet. So he was just like sleeping for long stretches of the night. Um, and then we went to the first appointment at the pediatrician and he had not gained any weight back. And, you know, he's like 11% under now. So they're like, well, you have to supplement, but they were not supportive of breastfeeding either. So they just didn't really, you know, give me any guidance, even about supplementing. It was like, well, you should give him this much, but like how, or, you know, like, should I also be pumping and, and none of that. It was just not, not helpful at all. Um, and I cried, of course, because I'm like devastated and hormonal and just like felt totally wrecked by all of that. Um, well, and it's a lot of things because you were doing all this effort. I'm sure you were pumping, right. you were trying to get him to latch, you were doing, you know, nobody's guiding you. And then they're like, oh, he's worse. You know, right. now he's 11% down. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So for, for two months, I pumped after every single time I fed him. Um, and... I was giving him like, you know, topping him up after he nursed. So like giving him whatever I pumped, but I could only pump like two or three ounces. Um, and then he was getting formula on top of that. And he still wasn't gaining enough weight because like nobody was telling me exactly how much to supplement. It was all just really crazy. And he still wasn't latching on effectively, even to the nipple shield. Like when my milk came in, it would just pool inside of the nipple shield and he couldn't get it out of it. Um, so eventually, I don't know how I found an actual IBCLC at Highland, um, 
Can I say names of hospitals? Yeah, you can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At Highland Hospital. And her name was Jan, and she was just like my saving grace. So I went in to see her. Leo was still only like, I, I don't even know. He was like nine pounds still. He was so tiny. And this is, we're talking like 10 weeks old. Um, and I went in to see her, and she weighed him, and she was like, oh, gosh, we got to get some we got to get something into this baby. Um, and she, you know, she was really kind to me though. She was like, I formula is not my business, you know, like, like it's not my industry essentially, but like this baby needs some formula now. So like, we're going to do that, but here's this supplemental nursing system. That's really going to help you, um, breastfeed and supplement at the same time, you know? So like, stop pumping every second of your life away because you don't even get to hold your baby because you're pumping all the time kind of thing. Um, and that just felt like such a relief to me. She sat with me. I would seriously think I went in like every other day um, for a month and we just like worked together. We got him off the nipple shield. That was like the first thing. Like, let's get this baby off of this nipple shield. So we got him latched on to me. Um, we figured out the supplemental nursing system, which is like a little tube attached to a bottle essentially, um, that you put on your nipple and, and we figured that out. And then like from then on out, at least he was satisfied and like gaining weight so I could relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but since it had taken so long to work things out, you know, it was like kind of like your supply only has so much time to get established and like, that was pretty much it. Um, so I, I reached about like 50% um, of what he needed, like with my breast milk. And then everything else was being supplemented with formula, um, which I didn't want to do. You know, that's like a personal choice. So I found out about human milk for human babies from like a Facebook group I was in. And I reached out. And um, said, like, you know, I've had a breast reduction. I have a low supply. I'd really love to find a donor so I can supplement. Um, and these two amazing twin sisters who both had had babies at the same time, who probably could have breastfed five children, like, individually with their breast milk. <laughs> they had such an oversupply. Um, offered to donate to me. And... I drove out to wherever they lived. It was like 30 minutes away with my adorable little baby. And, and that is, hold yes. on, that is the sound of you burping oh, your baby. sorry. Yeah, I'm burping my baby. <laughs> I'm letting people know what's going on because it's like, what's going on? Bump, bump, bump. You hear anything really loud. <laughs> We're all cheering, waiting for that burp. Where's right. the burp? It might not come. It might be a splash. <laughs> so I drove out, um to pick up this milk and I got there and, you know, I said hello and they were super sweet and we showed like had our babies sit together and talk for a while. Um, and then they filled up a full size cooler of their breast milk for me. It was like thousands of ounces. And I just like sighed the deepest sigh of relief I've probably ever had. Cause I just felt like, okay, now I can really let go of the pumping. You know what I mean? Like I felt like I had to keep going because I wanted them to have every ounce of breast milk that they could, or that he could have. Um, but now that I had all of these amazing ounces from these women, I didn't feel like I needed to attach myself to the pump anymore, which just gave mm -hmm. me time to like enjoy my baby. 
Um, awesome. Yeah. And then was there anything like that? First of all, let me acknowledge all of this that you went through because that is quite a bit. Yeah, and a lot. <laughs> that's months of, of struggle. Right. Um, did he did so you got him off the nipple shield did he have any restrictions oh. with the latching or did he figure out his latching he always so he had a, a also at that ibclc appointment which is again let's keep in mind it, he was like almost three months old um she was like oh well he has you know a very restricted um frenulum and a posterior tie. I mean, his, his lip was so tight down on his gums that you couldn't even peel it up. Like when he got teeth, you couldn't peel it up for him to brush his teeth. Mm. Um, so there was so much restriction going on there that even, so when he latched on, he would only latch on with the, um, SNS tube, like flowing also, because he couldn't really get a good latch. Even then it was better, obviously, because it was off of the nipple shield, but it was never very strong. And, right. He couldn't you know, get a full seal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Claire, let's take a quick break. I just looked at the time and went, whoa. <laughs> let's take a quick break. For 20 minutes. <laughs> we'll, we'll be right back and we'll okay. learn more about that as well. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. Do you get a lot of UTIs? Turns out you're not alone. UTIs are the second most common infection in the U.S. with half of all women getting UTIs and about one in five struggling with recurring UTIs. I am fortunate that I don't get many UTIs, but I am not a stranger to that dreaded tingling feeling that starts sounding mental alarms for me. And in fact, I did grow up seeing how the struggle with recurring UTIs affected my mom's day to day. It is not fun to say the least. So if you get UTIs, you know that the effects of cranberry juice are disappointing and taking too many antibiotics can be problematic. So what should you do? Well, now you can use Zucora, the natural effective way to prevent UTIs. And you may be asking yourself, yeah, how does this work? How is this any different from what I've already tried? Well, Eucora's unique formula targets bacteria to keep it from sticking to the walls of your urethra, letting you safely flush away that pesky bacteria out of your urinary tract, stopping UTIs before they can start. And it's also super simple. You just mix the packet, which tastes like a pink lemonade, with water and drink it after intimacy or exercise or whenever you think you might be at risk of a UTI. And even if you don't know what causes your UTIs, Eucora can also cover you on a day-to-day -day basis. Break free from the endless cycle of infections and all those antibiotics. Get Eucora and say goodbye to UTIs. Right now, Eucora is offering 30% off when you text the word BIRTHFUL to 484848. 48 48. But you gotta hurry because this is a limited time offer. So text the word BIRTHFUL to 484848 48 to get 30% off your order of Eucora. That's B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L to the number 484848. And we are back. So, um, you had so many things going on and... Yes. <laughs> yes. So what what do you think from all of that? Um, what do you think would have made a difference? Like, well, I guess you did things differently the next few times. So any takeaways from that first one? Yeah, I had a lot of takeaways. 
Um, I want to mention that there is a book that I read in that process. And I actually joined like an online support group for women who are breastfeeding after a breast reduction. Um, and I didn't find them until I was like, you know, eight weeks in, but they were so awesome and helpful. So um, for me, like reaching out to the community that understood exactly what I was going to was really um, helpful because they had so many suggestions that had um, worked for them. And the book is called Defining Your Own Success, Breastfeeding After Breast Reduction. And I just want to say, because I don't know if this person perhaps is out there in the ether, I bought it secondhand and Brandy wrote a note on an orange note card and it said, best of luck, it's worth the effort. And I found that in the book. And then she left her email too, but I was like crazy with a newborn and never emailed her. This is eight years ago, by the way, or seven. (laughs) Um, So finding my community of people who was struggling like I was, was super helpful. And like with my son, I breastfed for the duration of our breastfeeding experience, which was almost three years um, with the supplemental nursing system. So with a, a bottle of, around a rope, essentially like a necklace, I called it my milk necklace um, uh-huh. with a tube, even when he was like two and a half, cause he never figured out how to latch on without it. And I didn't want to wean him just because like we had to use this stupid thing. So for me, it was like a blessing and a curse to have to use that. Um, but my takeaway from that whole experience is, perseverance was necessary because I'm so stubborn. So I just like did not give up. (laughs) It Mm -hmm. didn't matter to me like how I was going to breastfeed. I just was going to do it. Um, And um, not being afraid to be a little different because like all the other moms were not nursing with a tube on their nipple, you know? Um, And when you have a baby. This was what was working for you guys. Exactly. And like, so you know, it was hard to overcome that kind of like initial embarrassment. Um, but we figured it out, man. (laughs) So finding the other moms who helped and, uh, persevering. That's how I got through that first breastfeeding journey. (laughs) Awesome. And so then let's fast forward. You're pregnant again. Yeah. So I breastfed throughout my entire pregnancy with my second, um, which I considered to be excellent training for labor (laughs) because it was such torture. (laughs) It's like your nipples are extra sensitive. I think there's also just kind of like uh, maybe like a mental thing going on where you're preparing for a new baby. So you feel a little aversion to your other baby breastfeeding still. Um, But I got to my like Zen place. (laughs) And I continued to breastfeed my son with the SNS throughout my entire pregnancy. Um, And was was this something that because you felt that this was something you wanted to do or he really wanted to continue breastfeeding and wouldn't take a bottle or like he never took a bottle. He never took a bottle. And it was really a special time for us because he only would breastfeed like before sleep times. Um, And so he would fall asleep nursing and it was just such a lovely time. So even though there was that like aversion, I still yeah, I wanted to keep going for sure. And he did too. So and I think that's an important point to make that like, because people think, oh, you're breastfeeding a toddler. Yeah, that's crazy. At that point, they're only feeding maybe two times, like in the morning and night, or only at night for a little bit, like it's not their only source, it's minimal source of food at that point. 
Absolutely. No, he, and it was so sad. Cause like every time he would stop a, like a nursing session, you know, like, yeah, he would wake up in the morning and we nurse, but eventually he was too excited. He didn't want to nurse in the morning anymore. So then it was only before he would go down for his nap and at nighttime, but then when he didn't take a nap anymore, he didn't nurse at that time. So it was just, but it was such a lovely, like easy, gentle progression towards weaning that it was, it was really perfect. You know, like Mm -hmm. he totally decided that he was done when he was ready and it wasn't traumatic for either of us. So, yeah. Awesome. So what were you doing to prepare for this next breastfeeding journey or did you do anything? I I sure did. I sure did. Cause obviously I'm still using the SNS with my son. So I was like, okay, what, what do I have to do to not be, have to do this? Um, my first step was I'm having a home birth because I can never trust a hospital to not take my baby and give them formula without my consent again, um, in my opinion. So I planned on having a home birth. Um, and then at, um, 36 weeks, I started pumping, um, in the evenings. Like, so my son would go to bed and I would start pumping. And my intention was to like, kind of build up a supply in advance, just in case, like, just in case, what if she didn't nurse? I wanted to be, or like, wouldn't latch on or something. I wanted to be ready for that. So, and that was something that a lot of the people in that breastfeeding after breast reduction community, um, suggested was pumping during pregnancy. And this was, a lot of the time for first time moms, but you know, I was already lactating. So like it in my milk changed to colostrum. So I was pumping colostrum. Um, but I felt really good. Like I was doing something proactive to get ready for, you know, for my new baby. Um, when you're doing that pumping colostrum ahead Mm -hmm. of time, what do you expect? Like, what do you get? Oh gosh. At first, like drip drops. right? Right. And like, that was okay with me because I knew that it wasn't going to be like, we're not looking for volume. It was, it was not looking for volume at all. Actually, you're just trying to stimulate your body. Um, so that it's ready, right? Like ready for when the baby comes. And this is not something that like a mom who hasn't had a breast reduction should do (laughs) because I imagine you could, uh, really set yourself up for an oversupply. Um, but for somebody who's already, you know, coming into this, knowing that they only had half of a supply, essentially, um, it was it was really helpful. So I pumped in the evenings and eventually I was getting like, I don't know, 10 or 20 milliliters, which for colostrum is a lot. Um, yeah. And I would store it in these little, you know, like the medicine tubes. So I would suck it up from the bottle and then store it in the little tubes and I froze them. And I had a lot when I, um, when I had my daughter and I never needed it. So she, she was born at home. Um, I had like a very fast compared to my last labor labor. It was like six hours. Um, and she was born at home and I had two doulas that time because I had no doulas the first time. So obviously I needed to have an extra doula this time. <laughs> That's how you balance this out. Here. That's how I evened yeah. that out. <laughs> I was also a doula then. So <laughs> I had all the, I had good connections with fabulous people. Um, so I had her at home. I had her in like a birth pool in my living room. Um, and she came out breastfeeding like it was ridiculous she latched on I got out of the tub and she latched on and I think she was latched on for an hour and a half like vacuum sucking (laughs) 
And, so very uh, different. Oh my gosh, so different. <laughs> like, could not have been more different. And Julia was there um, assisting Brigitte, my midwife. And Julia looks at me and she's like, you know, you can take a break. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can. You know, I was like ready for this to be super hard. And it was not hard at all. She just... She knew what she was doing. And obviously she didn't have any of the medication in her that Leonardo did. And we didn't have any of the like stress of uh, long labor in a hospital with a bunch of strangers. Like it was so, so different. So. And you weren't as exhausted either. No, I was like, yeah, a norm. I felt ready to go, you know. <laughs> so. Awesome. Um, and then. Um, and so also she didn't, she had a good lot. She did not have restrictions. Right. Right. And you know, honestly, though, I feel like she has some minor restrictions. Like if I, I feel like I've shown her um, mouth, <laughs> or I did show her mouth to um, Diane Cassidy, the IBCLC. And I think she does, but she did, she wasn't like drugged up. So like, I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, it's like she did have some restrictions, but since she also had all of her like coordination and wits about her, um, it didn't impede anything like it did with, with yeah. Leo. I never had any pain. Like my nipples never felt like cracked or any of that. Um, and she was gaining yeah. weight and not fussy. And From yeah. the beginning. She never even lost oh, wow. weight. <laughs> she just oh, went up. Awesome. <laughs> so even like, I think it's important to note that like sometimes you might have restrictions, but the babies figure it out or they resolve themselves or yes. so it's you know is there a restriction and then is it causing problems and if it's not causing exactly. it, it, it seems like it wasn't causing problems on your end your nipples were fine she was gaining right. weight and feeding well so awesome yes yes exactly it was awesome so at that time i was breastfeeding my son who was two and my daughter and i had a full supply for my daughter and i had enough for my son but he was still using the supplemental nursing system so I felt pretty good about that. You had full supply. <laughs> yeah, you had full supply for two. I had a full supply. Yeah. Oh. After having so many struggles with my son. And so that's another thing that a lot of people ask um, in the breastfeeding after breast reduction group is like, I didn't have a full supply with my first. Is it possible to have a full supply with subsequent babies? And I want to say yes, like absolutely. Um and I attribute some of that to just like changing like the birth environment and the birth experience. Um, but we know, you know, with sub subsequent babies, like your body has already produced milk and you produce a little more milk every time. Um, so, and your body heals more. So any like scar tissue that you might've had from your surgery um, will heal and a milk duct can regrow, like can repair itself over time. So, um, yeah, there's hope if it didn't work out the first time that it will the next mm. time. And also that, that and this part is true for anybody if they've had a, a breast reduction yes. or not in terms of if you've breastfed, ha the effect of having breastfed and having had those mammary glands filled with some milk and it, they produce yes. more. So if you've ever breastfed uh, and got pregnant and were to breastfeed again already that's yes. making it that you'll have a better start with supply exactly yeah, yeah. cool and you kind of know what you're doing so a little helps. more yeah <laughs> let's <laughs> let's take another quick break we'll be right back 
What would it look like if we all listened more? I know you already love podcasts, so why not listen to books too? Listening to audiobooks can be inspiring and motivating, and there's no better place to listen than Audible. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, including the book The Fourth Trimester, a postpartum guide to healing your body, balancing your emotions, and restoring your vitality by sexological body worker and postpartum care advocate Kimberly Johnson. And you may remember Kimberly from a past episode we did together. Her book is one of my favorite go-to postpartum resources, and I am thrilled that she did an audiobook so that you can listen to her book on the go. Get her book or any audiobook of your choice today by trying an Audible membership for free for 30 days. Now, Audible members get more than ever before. Each month, you get three titles of your choice. That's one audiobook, two Audible originals, and fitness programs that you can't get anywhere else. Unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books. Plus, they have a great listen guarantee, so if you don't like it, you can swap it. Also, Audible works across many devices, letting you download and listen on iOS, Android, Amazon Fire tablets, or Windows Phone. Audible has many cool features, but my favorite is Whisper Sync for Voice, which lets you switch back and forth between reading and listening to your audiobook from, say, your Amazon's Kindle and your Echo or your phone without ever losing your place or missing a word. I personally love being able to listen to a book while I'm driving the car and then picking up right where I left off when reading in bed later that night. There's never been a better time to experience Audible. Try it now free for 30 days by visiting audible.com slash birthful or by texting the word birthful to the number 500-500. You'll be able to get a free audiobook using this unique link for birthful listeners. So go to audible.com slash birthful. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash birthful or text the word birthful to the number 500-500 today. And we're back talking with Claire LaBrosa about her breastfeeding experiences. So this time around with your daughter, you had milk to go around. I did. I even had extra because I was pumping in the evening still like I had been in pregnancy. So I was like saving up, you know, and I had a little tiny freezer stash. It still wasn't a lot, but I felt so good that I had some extra there. Um, And uh So uh, the woman who had donated to me, there was these twin sisters and um, one of the sisters got pregnant again and um, had a complication in her pregnancy and found out that she had to have um, a cesarean and that she needed to go under general anesthesia for it. Um, And I was her doula. And so obviously that kind of threw a wrench into things. And... um, but I had saved all this colostrum and I had it frozen. So I brought it to her the night before her cesarean um, in the hospital. And she was going to use it if she needed to supplement at all for whatever reason. So like if she didn't have, if she wasn't able to um, breastfeed right away after that general anesthesia. Um, So I felt really great about that because it was like full circle. I got to give her my colostrum and she had fed my baby essentially for, a very long time. So. Yeah. <laughs> that was and cool. I keep thinking mm-hmm. back as you're talking about this, I have a, a, a podcast episode on milk sharing. Um, and yeah. I will link it in the show notes. But it's like some people initially, when you think of that, you go like, oh, it's somebody else's milk. But if we really look at history, you have, uh, you know, the stories of, I mean, 
tons of experiences of right, wet like, nursing and yeah. and in or like your sister would breastfeed your kids. My sister just breastfed my new baby while I was in the shower. It's like, do I want my baby to scream hysterically or would I rather like she be happily content with her aunt? <laughs> right. So that's you such know? a cultural construct of where we've gotten and, and far from exactly. the, you know, it takes a village to race. And it's not for everybody. Like you've yeah. got to be comfortable with the situation. But even the thought yeah. of like, just look back a couple, you know, maybe not dozens yeah, of years but just right years. before but before the industrial yeah, revolution yeah, yeah. essentially um, <laughs> and sure. it's something that it's, it's got to be special in connecting like that what you were saying that your sister just breastfed your baby right I mean seriously like those twins were like I mean we're friends still so our kids are the same age like we still see each other their, I will never forget their kindness. And also like all the other women along the way, because they eventually stopped pumping, you know, their babies got to the age they were like one and I, they were done pumping. So I found other women who are still friends, but they, they were strangers before, you know? So, um, and honestly, my son is like, has the most amazing immune system. And I always attribute it to the like tens of women that donated their milk to him like imagine all the great bacteria he got from all of these different people's breast milk microbiome oh. <laughs> right <laughs> seriously so in terms of this second one was there anything that you want to make sure we we touched upon um yes yeah, yeah. It, it it wasn't all easy <laughs> because she was um a very high needs baby uh she had like I want, I, I call it colic now, but like, who knows what it actually, you know, it's like, okay, maybe it was, she screamed every night from like six to 11 PM. She would just like nurse, 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 scream, scream, scream for four months. And I'm so lucky that she was my second baby because I had to have a mantra of like, it's, it's, she's not hungry. She's, this is just how she is. Like, she's not hungry. She's not hungry. And I knew she wasn't hungry because she had like soaking wet diapers because she was just like nursing for four hours straight. Um, but if I had not had, if I wasn't a more experienced mom and my baby had screamed at me like that every evening, I would have probably convinced myself that she was hungry. Like a lot of moms do. Um, and maybe I would have, I don't know. I mean, I would have done other things, but like for me, I was so grateful that I was experienced enough to just be able to reassure myself. She's not hungry. Like she just needs something else, you know? Mm. And you know, uh, like other times of the day she was content and her weight yeah. was gaining yeah. and diapers kept coming oh, and yeah. like all the signs that yep. she's getting enough. Exactly. Exactly. So it was like, everything is telling me that she's getting enough. But you know, when you have your crying baby, like we all in this society tend to be like, well, it must, she must be hungry. But like, I knew she wasn't, it was just, she just was fussy. So and then it, it was hard. Yes. That's four hours every day for four months. You said, mm -hmm, did it just suddenly mm -hmm. go away or what happened? Oh God. I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't remember if it just like gradually went away or if it suddenly went away. I think that I remember um, Kathleen actually telling me um, as I was trying to like find out what was wrong with my baby. She was like, oh, yeah, like my daughter did that. It'll go away around four months. And I was like, you monster. Four months is so long. Why would you tell me that? And yeah, <laughs> she was right. she was right. She was right. <laughs> 
Uh, some babies. It's hard to figure out the baby you've got and also accept the right. baby you've got and and have yep. it, you know, because you already have an idea of your mind of the baby you want. And when those right. don't match up, there's a lot of emotional oh turmoil and you got to like kind of mourn, let go of the other one and just accept right. this one. And yeah. And honestly, I think I woke up one day and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is just how she is. Because when she stopped screaming in the evening, she still had a lot of opinions. <laughs> she was like six months old. She had a temper tantrum because I took something away from her that she wanted at six months old. So, and she's still like that. She's five and a half. She's amazing. She's like so intelligent and precocious, but she just had a lot of things to say, uh -huh. I think. And she didn't, she couldn't, she couldn't say them. They yet, come so. out with their personalities. I mean, they do. They really yeah. do. Yes. So then you found yourself pregnant again. Yeah. So a lot of time passed though. So Sylvia, I, I breastfed both of them until Leonardo was about three. So Sylvia was about one. Um, and then, um, and you know, I was breastfeeding one baby without any supplementing, no supplemental nursing system. And here I have this two and a half year old, th almost three year old who's still breastfeeding with the supplemental nursing system. So eventually I was like, you know, I'm over this, this, the system, not the breastfeeding my toddler. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to get rid of it. And if he wants, and I'll keep offering. And if he um, doesn't want to nurse anymore without it, like, that's okay. So I did that. And he looked at me, he tried to latch on and he looked at me and he goes, it's not working. Oh, <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, well, do you want me to snuggle you instead? And he said yes, and that was it. It was really fine. So, <laughs> um, so I continued breastfeeding my daughter until she was about the same age. Actually, they both kind of just like weaned at that. It was like two years, ten months, um, around that time, and it was the same. She just was done, and that was fine. Like she would go a couple days, not nurse, then she would nurse again, and then eventually she just didn't anymore. But honestly, I couldn't tell you the day or the time because it wasn't like I decided you know, today's the day. It just happened. So I was not breastfeeding for a couple years because she's five and a half now. And I just had my new one, um, in July. Mm -hmm. So, um, this time around, I didn't pump in pregnancy and I was a little bit like questioning whether or not I would regret that. Right. Because it had been a while. Um, and I had prepared so much to breastfeed Sylvia because of what had happened with Leo that, um, I was, I knew that it was possible that it might be difficult again, but also like when you already have two children, I was working full time. And like, I also have a, a like business on the side. I just could not imagine expending any energy in the night, like pumping <laughs> in pregnancy. So I went to a lot of being instead. Yes, I did. And actually I, I went to prenatal yoga like four nights a week, um, or four days a week. So that was, Like, I really just have never felt more peaceful and calm in a pregnancy. It was so amazing. I never did prenatal yoga with the other two. So I was investing in myself. Um, and I felt great. And I planned another home birth. And of course, like with every pregnancy, you just get worried again, right? You're like, oh my gosh, like, what if, what if I have to transfer to the hospital? Like, what if something is difficult? Well, you know, all the worries, but... Again, I think the yoga saved me because I just got to like accept my worries and send them away. Um, so I 
had a totally different labor experience with this baby. It was really kind of cool, actually, because like I had I had been having contractions in pregnancy that I didn't have with the other two, like Braxton Hicks kinds of things. Um, and I see an awesome chiropractor. So I went to her on a Friday and she was like, I'm going away for a week for vacation. I was like, absolutely not. Like you've got we've got to have the baby then. <laughs> So she did some uh, funny things <laughs> for me to help maybe get baby ready to come out and me ready to have a baby. And then um, I took my kids to the playground that day and like walked around like a crazy person uh, <laughs> trying to have a baby. And I put my kids to bed and I got up and I had like a contraction and then I had some bloody show and I was like oh my gosh like we might actually be having a baby tomorrow and she was only 39 weeks and five days which for me is very early to have a baby because my other two were past my duty well I was gonna say I think I remember you with (laughs) Sylvia going like it's still it's still and you were like so done for weeks oh yes Exactly. So I just kind of anticipated having this baby in for longer because the other two were also, but it didn't go that way. So I like had this bloody show and I got all excited and I texted my midwife and I was like, just so you know, like this happened. And she was, you know, actually, I think she thought I was going to be in labor like earlier in the night, but I went around uh, preparing my house for possibly having a baby that night. And then I went to bed and slept like really well. Um, and I woke up at 1.30 or so and I like had some contractions. I was sitting on the toilet, you know, they were, I don't know, like every four minutes or something. And then my daughter woke up. So she wanted me to go back and lay with her. So I did. I went back to sleep. I woke up again at four in the morning with more contractions. And that was, I, you know, I was entering like closer to active labor at that point. So, um, I labored like in the shower. It was just such an easy, I was so calm. I don't know. Maybe that's just like the experience of being a third time mom, but I felt so peaceful and calm and I was just laboring alone in my shower, but it was totally fine. And I texted my doulas and I was like, Hey, like this is going on, but I'm totally fine. You don't even need to come yet. Um, I think they ended up coming around 8.30 in the morning. My midwife got there at 9.30. She checked me. I was like five centimeters. I still felt fine. I was not in active labor like mentally at all. So um, she left to get a sandwich (laughs) because she had been at a birth all night. She's like, I'm going to go get something to eat. I'll come back. So she left and I laid down and my, my, one of my doulas um, giving me some nice comforting touches. And, um, then I got up, I walked into my kitchen and I like, it was such a drastic change. I had what I, I like cracked a joke and then I had a contraction and then I cried. <laughs> it's like, I'm in labor. Um, and I, you know, got in the tub and I, I pushed her out, but I, there was like a, a cervical lip. So I was pushing and pushing and pushing, um, and nothing was happening. And I felt really like frustrated by that. Um, and my midwife was like, why don't you get out and I'll check you, see what's going on. Sounds like you have a cervical lip and I didn't want to get out of my birth pool, but like eventually I needed something to change. So I did. Um, and there was a cervical lip. So she broke my water and, um, then I got back in the tub and I pushed her out pretty quickly after that. And it was such a relief. (laughs) Um, 
but she had a dent on her head from that cervical lip. So I ended up um, getting some help for that because she wasn't latching on very well. It was like really pinchy. Um, and I had the, um, now I have all the resources. So my IBCLC came and helped me and I took her to the craniosacral therapist and she helped me and we sorted out those issues and she's just been doing really well since. Mm-hmm. And explain a little bit like what the relationship is between a dent on her head and breastfeeding. Right. Like, wait a second, Claire, so, what's this? Term? I know. What does that mean? Right. Exactly. So I just, in my mind, I envision like I was pushing her down, right? Like I was trying to get her out. Um, Cause I was like, almost 10 centimeters I felt like it was time to push but I'm pushing her and she's like and I'm envisioning her poor baby head like hitting my cervix (laughs) over and over again (laughs) and not coming out so the IVCLC was like I think she might just have a headache right like first she said tell me about the birth because that's really important right we need that backstory because that really affects breastfeeding in so many ways. So she was like, I think she has a headache. And I've, and oh, by the way, she has all of the restrictions that my son had. Um, super tight frenulum, super tight, post, like posterior tongue tie. Um, and then possibly also this headache. <laughs> so she was latching and she was getting milk, but um, her latch was pinchy. And so I was thinking, oh, geez, I'm going to have to get her her ties revised um, because I'm having a little flashback to the way that my son's breastfeeding journey went. um, And I didn't want it to be anything like that. Um, But I figured I would try to do other things first to see if they helped. So you did some cranial sacral. Did you do any chiropractic adjustment to her? Yeah. So I took her to the first. Yes. So I took her to, I don't remember who I went to first, if I went to the chiropractor or I went to craniosacral, but I think it was in the same week. So she went to the chiropractor twice a week for a month and I took her to craniosacral just the one time. But even after that first visit, she was so much, um, she had so much more range of motion. Um, and it was not as pinchy when she latched on. Um, and then same thing with the chiropractor. She was like able to move her head from side to side more. Um, so I definitely noticed a difference and I felt a difference. Yeah. And that's, we don't pay attention so much to like all the forces that are put on babies' heads when they're born. And I'm so glad the, the IBCLC was asked you, you know, how was the birth? Because that's that brings context to what might be happening, yeah. especially if you've got a baby that's preferring one side or not the other, whatever. Breastfeeding shouldn't hurt. So the fact, and you know, right. th- you knew this by then. So right. you could go like, yeah. oh, this is pinchy. Something's up. We've got to fix it. Fix it right away. Yes. Yep. And yeah, we were, I mean, day three, I think, or maybe it was four because day three was rough. <laughs> Day three is always rough, people. It's a special kind of nightmare. 
it's a bad day. <laughs> and even for me, I was like, oh my gosh, something's wrong with my baby. She's crying. <laughs> right. Because hormones are toppling, milk's trying to come in, babies right. are being the demand. Like it is a lot of things going on day three. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So day three was bad. And then IBCLC came on day four. Um, we weighed her before and after feed. She was transferring great. She got an ounce and a half on day three mm. or day four. Um, when she was like hardly trying because <laughs> she was doing this like pinchy little lazy, lazy latch. Um, so she was like, I'm very happy with that, but if it hurts, we got to do something about it. So we did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so how have things continued from like those first few days? She's been great, but you know, I have to say that like, I think just from the like trauma of my first experience, I will always kind of question whether or not like there's enough milk there. Um, so I'm constantly having to like reassure myself, like she's gaining weight fine. Everything else is fine. But like every time she cries, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. She's not hungry. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that's, it's it's been fine, but it, for me, it's more of like a mental struggle. I think. Mm. And I, I've you know, I've had the benefit of seeing you hanging out with your baby, and I know that anytime she goes like, eh, starts doing anything, yeah. you like you do offer broths first. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, try this. <laughs> Is it time. hungry? Okay, no. All right, let's try something else. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's like, I know that I'm, and you know, it's, it's great to be more experienced because I know I'm doing all the things that I need to do and I have my, my help if I need it. Um, but it's the day to day just being like, everything's fine. You know, it's okay. Mm. (laughs) Babies will cry sometimes. Yeah. And it was really funny actually, because, um, I was like offering her the breast and she like didn't want it. And I was horrified. (laughs) what do you mean you're not hungry right now? Because <laughs> some babies don't want to just like comfort nurse all the, all the time. <laughs> I just want you to hold me. I don't need something in my mouth right, right now. I right. just want to just hold me. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, whereas my other daughter, she absolutely would have just like been latched on 24 seven, I think. <laughs> oh, they're so. so different. It is. Did you, and so the restrictions, did she figure them out and things work out with just the Cairo and the cranial sacral or did you have to go and have adjustments or? I have, I haven't had her revised and I still don't know if that's the right decision or not. Honestly, I know from my experience with my son that even if we don't have breastfeeding problems, there could be other issues that come up down the line. For example, the dental issue I was talking about, um, with both of my other kids, they did have that lip tie. So Sylvia did too, but it just wasn't as tight as Leo's. Um, but when they were like 18 months, both of them, they fell on their face <laughs> and ripped the tie off, um, thereby resolving that problem. Um, <laughs> Self-revision. <laughs> yeah, self-revision, yeah. <laughs> Which is really common, actually. Like if you talk to um, dentists, they'll say that that happens quite a bit. Um, so I know that, that that's a possibility. I haven't gotten her revised. She's done really great with the chiropractic care and the craniosacral stuff. Um, she has a, like her range of motion is very good. Um, but I do kind of in the back of my head think, will I regret not doing it when she's younger? Um, cause later you have, well, at this point she's not so younger anymore. You would still need, right. To like, I think that she would kind of like 
remember it you know whereas when they're like two days old or in their first week I think it's probably the easiest time to do it not that there's any really easy time to do it um well and I think in terms of the procedure and and I I, if I'm hoping I'm remembering this correctly but Mm -hmm. it's they don't have so much the nerve endings at that point when they're itty bitty so they can it can just be cut and not need like when they're older there's a need for anesthesia and other things yes exactly so like I imagine getting a toddler revised is horrible um and like I'm not ruling that out because if she's having dental issues like we might have to do that but for now things are going okay so I don't want to mess with it yeah and sometimes it can also affect speech so exactly yeah it's more than just breastfeeding um so interesting i find it fascinating it is it is fascinating and i'm so glad that like more people are aware of it and we're and we have more um like providers now that actually will do the revisions because before we had to drive like four hours to get it revised but now we have a couple providers who are within an hour or so of us who we could go to so it's reassuring for sure yeah, and I'll see if I can find a, a like a. I don't know if there's a resource online for, regardless of where you are, to find right. a provider. I bet there is. Back. I bet there is. What? I think there's um there's some sort of organization for ties, so for oral ties. So I think that they probably have something. We'll do some research. Put it on the show notes. Yeah. yeah, that's um, a good idea. Yay, Claire! Is there anything? else that you wanted to make sure we talked about that we haven't gotten to or a message you want to leave the listeners with um I just would love to encourage people to reach out so there's a Facebook group now now that we're out of the dark ages before it was a website that um Diana West had created for mothers who are breastfeeding after breast reduction but if you are if you've had any breast surgery actually and you're you're uh, finding yourself pregnant and wanting to breastfeed join that Facebook group because there's a great community there um but I would also really, really encourage women um, who are planning on breastfeeding and have had um, a breast reduction or breast surgery to try and support themselves to have as unmedicated a birth as possible. Because I think that the reason so many women are struggling is because of that. And so then when you have these two issues, it's like so hard, right? Because you've already had the surgery and then you also perhaps are having a sleepy baby because you've had an epidural or like some other complication. Um, so it's, it makes it more difficult and we just like, don't need it to be more difficult. Right. <laughs> Cause it's already, we're starting at a, a disadvantage sometimes. Um, but then it, when things do happen, getting an IBCLC lined up in pregnancy, um, I think is like the best advice. Go meet them when you are pregnant because then you'll already feel comfortable with them. They'll know your backstory. They'll know that you had surgery and that like you're worried that things might be difficult. Um, And then when you're on day three (laughs) and things are looking really bleak, you don't have to like do all of that legwork. You can just call them and say, hey, it's me. We already talked. I'm having trouble. Like, can you help me? Mm-hmm. 
that yeah. is super good advice. And I'll put on the show notes um, a resource for finding a lactation consultant yes. near your area yes. as well from Ilka. And yes. I have, as you're talking, I'm writing down notes because I'm like, oh, we have a podcast <laughs> with Diane on oh, you know yeah. epidurals and breastfeeding. And we yes. have a podcast on yep. all these things. So that's awesome. Lots of good resources for you guys, mighty listeners on the show notes. Go look at yeah. those. Claire, thank you so so much for being here today. If people Thanks want to reach out, me. Yay, yeah. reach out to you. How can they do that? Um, let's see. You can find me at um, well, I'll give my doula website because then you can email me there. It's www.teamdoula.com. Um, I work with two other doulas um, in a partnership, and you can email me there, and I'll get back to you. And I honestly, this is like such a passion for me. This is the reason I became a doula, because I struggled so much with breastfeeding. And I saw that the relationship between birth and breastfeeding is like, in you know, completely linked. So I wanted to help moms so that they didn't have to struggle like I did. <laughs> mm. And thank you for all that great work you do and for being here on the show again. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. Mighty Ones, check out the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I am also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful, so come say hi. And if you are in the last few months of pregnancy and feeling unprepared for what's to come, then go sign up for my Thrive with Your Newborn online postpartum preparation classes at birthfulcourses.com. Let's get you postpartum ready. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and the wonderful people at Eucora and Audible. To best support this podcast, please support its sponsors and get discounts while you're at it. Get 30% off your Eucora order by texting the word BIRTHFUL to the number 484848 and go to audible.com slash birthful or text the word BIRTHFUL to the number 500-500 to get started. The title song for this podcast is Vives by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network, a network of podcasts focused on parents. Download the free Parents on Demand app for Apple and Android for easy on-the-go listening. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Wednesday when I'll be talking to a new maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. Hey, Mighty One, did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.